lecture eight part two of the groundwork of the christian virtues by william bernard ullathorne this librivox recording is in the public domain lecture eight the divine master of humility part two in a vast number of souls he found a dark obstacle that withstood the entrance of his grace and truth this obstacle was pride and the concupiscence that fosters pride against this he opposed his humility with a gentle kindness and a divine patience but where he found that pride or that covetousness to be not only hard and obstinate but active and mischievous in misleading the people he rose up against it with all the power of divine indignation the scribes and pharisees who put their hard pride into the law which in itself was sufficiently severe and who knew no mercy in its interpretation when applied to their brethren who as our lord reproached them bound heavy and unsupportable burdens and laid them on men's shoulders but with a finger of their own would not move them st matthew chapter twenty three verse four these he rebuked with a fire of indignation that caused every one to tremble to the covetous profaners of his father's house again he not only used words but acts of indignation and drove out the traffickers with stripes from the temple the two objects of his divine indignation were the proud teachers who blocked the way between god and the people and the profane intruders who brought the world into the sanctuary of sacrifice his humility arose against the pride that desolated god's people and against the profanation of the divine worship of the pride that closed the minds of so many of his hearers he spoke in the words of the prophet isaiah he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and i should heal them yet st john adds the remark that many of the chief men also believed in him but because of the pharisees they did not confess him that they might not be cast out of the synagogue for they loved the glory of men more than the glory of god st john chapter twelve verses forty through forty three he therefore chiefly sought the poor the simple and the afflicted leaving the wealthy and the wise in their own opinion to seek him but pride was not the only evil that withheld men from god the covetousness of the things of this world and the appetite for sensual pleasures drew them with an overpowering fascination from the knowledge of god and from the love of eternal good on this account it was necessary that we should not only have the example of humility but also of self-abnegation which is so intimately connected with humility our lord therefore united his humility with poverty and his poverty with self-abnegation nor was this merely for our example but because the life of humility poverty and self-abnegation is the most perfect of human lives 
as depending on god alone and as setting the things of this mortal life at their true value as compared with the things of eternity yet through all the humility and poverty of christ his divinity shines as in the humility of his saints the spirit of god shines through every abasement he is born of a poor and humble mother but his paternity is a stupendous miracle of the holy spirit his birth takes place in a wretched cave a stable for beasts of burden but the angels sing his glory in the heavens he is wrapped in the swathings of poverty but a miraculous star reveals his birth and leads princes from a far country to his feet to adore him he works at the trade of his reputed father industrious obedient until his thirtieth year but even at the age of twelve he astonishes the doctors of the law in the temple by his wisdom during the years of his divine mission he tells us the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests but the son of man hath not where to lay his head st matthew chapter eight verse twenty yet he healed all infirmities gave sight to the blind and life to the dead he is the sublime proof of his own person that humanity is but the instrument through which god works great things and works them through humility and self-abnegation that was a solemn moment when after his forty days of solitude fasting and prayer the son of god opened his mission to the world st luke tells us that jesus returned in the power of the spirit into galilee and the fame of him went through the whole country and he taught in their synagogues and was magnified by all and he came to nazareth where he was brought up and he went into the synagogue according to his custom on the sabbath day and he rose up to read and the book of isaiah the prophet was delivered unto him and as he unfolded the book he found the place where it was written the spirit of the lord is upon me wherefore he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he hath sent me to heal the contrite of heart to preach deliverance to the captives and sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the lord and the day of reward and when he had folded the book he restored it to the minister and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them this day is fulfilled this scripture in your ears st luke chapter four verses fourteen through twenty two the calm and gentle way in which the son of god first makes himself known to the people of nazareth to those who had known him for thirty years from his infancy and let them know that he whom they had only known as an obedient son and a pious working man was the expected messiah and the fulfilment of the prophets has always appeared to me to be one of the most remarkable passages in the history of his divine life it is not only remarkable for the calm gentleness of his bearing at so solemn a moment 
but for the humility with which he makes an announcement so startling to his audience there is none of the excitement or fervour of enthusiasm with which mere human nature would have announced a great personal claim for the first time especially when contrary to all the preconceptions of his hearers there is the calmness of god in the figure and voice of man he reads the prophetic description of his divine mission in the ordinary course of his duty as a reader in the synagogue and then when all eyes are fixed upon him he gently drops the word to their attentive ears this day is fulfilled this scripture in your ears all the rest he leaves to the silent inference of their own minds take the wisest of the heathen sages and compare this passage with any that occur in the teaching of socrates socrates never opens his mouth without humiliating and wounding the susceptibilities of his hearers with the consciousness of his superior understanding but the eternal wisdom incarnate breathes forth the divinest truths in humility in his ordinary conversation he calls himself the son of man and it is generally some special circumstances of objection to the divine power exhibited in his works that leads him to assert his equality with the father for example when he healed on the sabbath and the pharisees condemned him for violating the sabbath he says my father worketh until now and i work then they sought to put him to death because he said that god was his father making himself equal to god and now we have to observe the sublime humility of the son of god a humility which is always truth and always justice he never speaks of his equality with the father without adding that of himself he can do nothing on this very occasion jesus answered and said to them amen amen i say unto you the son cannot do anything of himself but what he seeth the father doing for whatsoever he doth these the son also doth in like manner st john chapter five verses seventeen through nineteen and when the capharnaites asked him what signs he showed and what works that they might believe in him he said to them all that the father giveth me shall come to me and him that cometh to me i will not cast out because i came down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him that sent me st john chapter six verses thirty seven and thirty eight everywhere he humbly proclaims that he does nothing of himself that he does no will but his father's will and no work but his father's work when he taught in the temple and the people wondered at his doctrine and said to one another how doth this man know letters having never learned jesus said to them my doctrine is not mine but his that sent me if any man will do the will of him he shall know of the doctrine whether it be of god or whether i speak of myself he that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory but he that seeketh the glory of him that sent him he is true 
and there is no injustice in him st john chapter seven verses fifteen through eighteen in this as in the previous examples we contemplate both the human and the divine side of the humility of the son of god on the human side when his teaching has awakened admiration and wonder he calls himself but the representative of another whose doctrine he speaks on the divine side as he is the word of god he ascribes all his knowledge to the father from whom it is eternally received what is the doctrine of the father but the word of the father asked saint augustine if christ is the word of the father he is the doctrine of the father as the word he is the word of another he therefore calls this doctrine his own and not his own because it is the word of the father he then draws for us this great lesson of humility from his own example whoever speaks from himself seeks his own glory but whoever speaks from another seeks the glory of him from whom he speaks such a one is just and true that is to say he is humble but i seek not my own glory i seek the glory of my father as in all my words and acts i proclaim it is this appetite for one's own glory which is the greatest abuse of speech that produces parties sects and heresies as well as the false doctrines of philosophy take away the passion for self-glorification and the greater part of the divisions of mankind will cease there is something most admirable and divine in this wisdom of humility or humility of wisdom with which the son of god always speaks of himself that puts all the pride of our miserable self-glorying to shame let it be further observed that in all his humble words and ways our divine lord never speaks directly of his own humility but once he lives and breathes and personifies the virtue as what is inseparable from him but of his own humility he spoke but once he spoke once because that was necessary for our instruction he spoke once to consecrate this wonderful virtue he spoke only once because of the exceeding delicacy and hidden nature of the virtue which like purity is far too modest to be spoken of by its possessor except in a case of absolute necessity and in this too he conveys to us a profound instruction it was after making one of those great declarations of which we have quoted several that our lord gave that most touching instruction about the spirit in which we can alone come to him and through him to his father all things are delivered to me by my father and no one knoweth the son but the father neither doth any one know the father but the son and he to whom it shall please the son to reveal him come to me all you who labor and are burdened and i will refresh you take my yoke upon you and learn of me because i am meek and humble of heart and you shall find rest to your souls for my yoke is sweet and my burden light 
st matthew chapter eleven verses twenty seven through thirty here we learn that humility is the special virtue of christ the virtue proper to him the virtue most dear to him the virtue that brought him from the splendors of the eternal glories in the holy trinity into the extremes of poverty and humiliation moved by infinite charity so that there is nothing more illustrious or glorious in his life and death than this divine virtue of humility whereby he redeemed the world and with which he prepared for us the medicine that healeth all our infirmities and bringeth us from all our sin and misery to rest in him here we also learn from him that that which pleases him in souls is humility and if he speaks of meekness as well it is because meekness is the most exquisite and delightful fruit of humility exhibiting the interior strength and fortitude of patience in a gentle sweetness the yoke of christ is the discipline of humility in self-abnegation and the refreshment which he promises the humble is his interior light and grace and especially that luminous and life-giving charity which dries up all sorrows calms down all troubles and makes every labor easy and every burden light when charity reigns in humility christ also reigns and bears our trials with us we are no longer under the yoke of satan no longer under the yoke of the world no longer under the yoke of pride we bear the yoke of christ whose yoke is sweet and his burden light come he says to me learn of me i am the way the truth and the life no man cometh to the father except through me st john chapter fourteen verse six he is the way to heaven the truth from heaven the life that brings to heaven and he says come to me learn this one thing from me and you shall know all things learn this one thing from me and you shall possess all things learn of me to be meek and humble of heart there is nothing so wonderful in power as the humility of christ who resting the created nature of his humanity wholly upon his divine nature ascribes nothing whatever to that human nature which he knew so perfectly to be nothing without god all whatever he is and does he attributes to the father and by reason of his humility he receives from the father an unspeakable power for our deliverance and sanctification and when we subject ourselves to his yoke with that mighty humility he enters our soul and so great is its power that it carries the whole man away from the false and frail foundation of pride on which he has labored in vain to build himself and rests his life on god as an unfailing firmament of strength there is a total change effected in all our mind and thought and in all the habits and aspirations of the soul and the divine virtues come into the place once occupied by the blinding and disordering vices 
giving us a peaceful communion with god instead of a restless and anxious dread of coming nearer to the good of divine and eternal things having once learnt from christ that the great lesson he has come to teach us is his own meekness and humility we then discover that his incarnation his birth all the actions of his life his sufferings and death all speak to us and breathe into us this divine lesson of humility and everywhere even when his voice is silent his life and conduct say to us learn of me because i am meek and humble of heart go to the cave of bethlehem and look at the desolate condition of the newborn child at the voice of the angels the shepherds come to adore but what a scene of poverty and distress the virgin mother all veneration and service joseph all silent and attentive yet here if anywhere must the divine humility take hold of us our pride melts into compassion our heart is moved with tenderness we are disarmed by stooping to this fresh-born misery our soul is opened by the touch of humanity and whilst in all outward appearance we seem to be stronger than he the divine grace of humility passes from the heart of the divine child into ours and convicts us of our weakness subjected to the law of circumcision made for sinners he receives the name of jesus and pays the first forfeit of that blood which shall save the world on the fortieth day from his birth he is offered to his father in the temple and is redeemed as the firstborn with the offering made for the poor the wise men from the east find him in abjection and the honours they render to him bring on him his first persecution from the powers of the world and he escapes in his mother's arms to egypt where his human ancestors so long suffered exile in slavery and misery at the age of twelve he is taken from nazareth to the solemn festival in jerusalem where he is found in the temple sitting amidst the doctors hearing them and asking them questions and all that heard him were astonished at his wisdom and answers and he went down with mary and joseph and came to nazareth and was subject to them st luke chapter two verses forty six through fifty two but from this time to his thirtieth year he disappears from the eyes of the world and the scriptures are silent upon him we have a glimpse of his supernatural wisdom at twelve after which that long period of his life is summed up in the word subjection he exercised obedience attended the synagogue and did the work of a laboring man how profound the lesson of his meekness and humility his silence instructs us to learn before we teach to be subject under discipline before we are masters and to be long silent and retired before we give our light to others all we know is that during those long years of humble obedience which are covered in silence jesus advanced in wisdom and age and grace with god and men
his humble and austere precursor was already preparing the way for his appearance as he preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins all the people took john the baptist for a prophet but in the truth and justice of his humility st john considered himself as nothing but a voice calling on them to prepare the way of the lord and when the people in their hearts thought that he might be the christ the prophet of the humble one said i indeed baptize you with water but there shall come one mightier than i the latchet of whose shoes i am not worthy to loose he shall baptize you with the holy ghost and with fire st luke chapter three verse sixteen then comes jesus to be baptized by john but john stayed him saying i ought to be baptized by thee and comest thou to me and jesus said to him suffer it be so now for so it becometh us to fulfil all justice then he suffered him what a scene of humility is here presented to our contemplation the humble prophet of god and the humble god of the prophet and humility obedient in both the humble god ruling the humility of the prophet that both might obey the law of justice in doing the will of the father in setting the example of submission then as ever came the reward of humility and jesus being baptized forthwith came out of the water and lo the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of god descending as a dove and coming upon him and behold a voice from heaven saying this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased st matthew chapter three verses thirteen through seventeen the holy trinity is sensibly manifested in the divine mission of the son the father in the voice the son baptized in the body and proclaimed by the father the holy spirit in the dove descending on him and the mission in the words this is my beloved son hear ye him but before he begins his mission he exhibits another great instance of his meekness humility and self-abnegation in his forty days of retirement and preparation during those forty days he abides in the wild and unsheltered solitude of the desert among wild beasts in fasting prayer and the temptations of satan then after angels have ministered to his fainting humanity he proceeds to his stupendous work as his work is to be the result of humility and charity and his power is to be exercised in infirmity he selects twelve poor simple-minded unlettered men for his disciples and companions in whom to plant the word of truth that shall subdue the world he lives in common with them and they observe his ways and listen to his sweet conversation as he forms them by degrees to his divine example he claims no exceptional privilege but is with them as their servant more than their master from this time he appears before the world gathering men together in great numbers through his attractive grace 
sowing the word of truth among them doing signs and wonders and healing the infirm sinners humble themselves to him and he pardons them he proclaims himself the good shepherd that gives his life for his sheep searches for the sheep that are lost and tenderly brings them to the fold end of lecture eight part two